Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Brook today. It is good to see you guys all. As I often ask, I want to ask you today, who's at the right address with us this morning? All right, we got people out there at the right place. I mentioned when we started our service, today's a fun day. Uh, yesterday, we were able to celebrate Pastor Jeremy. So he, got, he got married yesterday. Yeah. Happy for him. He's on his way to Hawaii right now, man. So pr- pretty happy for our brother, our pastor, one of our pastors here. Uh, be sure to send him some, some love and, and some congratulations to him and Angelica. Um, I'm excited today. We're starting a new message series from the book of 2 Timothy. The last few Sundays, we've been going through a series we called Encounter Jesus where we've seen different people in the Bible who encountered the resurrected Jesus, who after his death, after his burial, rose from the dead and still was alive and was alive for 40 days and then ascended into heaven. And during that time and time since, he has encountered people like me and you in the midst of our mess and no matter what we're going through. And today what we want to talk about is what takes place after we encounter Jesus. And what it is is that God wants to continue to work in our lives Being a Christian is not something that we point back to a particular date and say that's when it happened and that's all it was, but it is a life that God calls us to live. And what happens to many of us, there are different times in our Christian journey for those who put their faith in Jesus where the fire of our faith begins to dwindle at times. There are times where life takes its toll and was was once a fire that was ablaze has become embers. It's just kind of there, hot, but not quite ablaze any longer. And as we gather on every Sunday, we know that there are others among us who say, man, I'm just a heap of wood. There's never been a fire for for Jesus. I I don't know God personally yet. And maybe you're here today because you're exploring the Christian faith. We want to make it plain today what it means to be a child of God. We want to make it plain about how to become a Christian, how to put your faith in Jesus, how to trust that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, and that when you put your faith in him, you turn away from your sin and turn to him. That's when you become a child of God. We want to make that plain to you, because ultimately what God wants for all of us is that we would live for Jesus, that we would realize that he is the best thing in all of our lives, that there's nothing like him. You know, when we think about a fire, we've got a summertime around, around the corner, We get the fire pits, we get the camping trips going, and a lot of us city folk who aren't used to making campfires get to get our our fire action going. And when we make fires, we learn that you've got, it starts with a small fire, and you usually got to blow on that flame, right? Unless you just heap some gasoline or something on it. But if you give it oxygen, the fire is going to begin to grow and become more vibrant, That's just the way God has made it. That's the science behind a fire. To give it oxygen, it'll cause it to go ablaze. What I pray that this series from 2 Timothy would do would be a fan on the flame of your heart. And that God would cause your hearts to grow ablaze in your passion for Jesus Christ. You guys with me here, fam? This is our desire. Because God doesn't want us to coast. And we live in days in a time where coasting is so easy. And it's been true throughout church history. So what I'm saying today has always been true, but it's especially true today. 
I know a lot of times when I'm preaching through different message series here at the Brook, I think about, man, this book is really pertinent for our day and age. And I realize, like, you know what? Every book of the Bible is always pertinent for every day and age. Like, I could be preaching through the book of Genesis today, which is a story of beginnings, how God created this earth. And that's a pertinent discussion in our day when God is not on anybody's mindset or especially his creative work. I could preach from the Song of Solomon, which talks about sex and relationship and romance, because in our day and age, that's twisted. I could talk about the book of Acts, where we see the church growing and spreading throughout the world, and we can say, in our day, that's what needs to happen still. And so no matter what we preach on, the Bible is relevant. But 2 Timothy, a book in the Bible, is especially relevant, I believe, for what we're going through as a church and what we see in our own day. I want you to meet me in the book of 2 Timothy today. That's on page 995. 995. I'm going to read our passage for us in a little, in a little bit. But I want to get us acquainted with this book of the Bible. I'll give us background and what it's about, generally speaking, in a moment. But I want to see you, show you why I think that's important for us as a church family, for those who are exploring the Christian faith, for those who are walking with Jesus, for those who need to get reignited in their faith. Page 995, we see that the book of 2 Timothy starts. And if you go to chapter 2 in 2 Timothy, that's the large number of your Bible. And then there's a smaller number, number that's the verse. Chapter 2, verse 2. The writer of this letter, Paul, he tells his young apprentice, Timothy, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The book of 2 Timothy is a book that teaches us that the faith that we hold onto is a faith that is passed on to others verbally. We learned last week it's not passed on through just being a relative of somebody. What do we say God hasn't got? grandkids. So all you grandparents out there, you have something God doesn't have. It's grandchildren. But the Christian faith is passed down verbally as we tell people about Jesus, and then those who put their faith in him become children of God. Second Timothy is important because it shows us that we have been entrusted with this task to pass it on to make disciples of other people. Look at Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The book of 2 Timothy tells us that the Christian faith calls us to be men and women and young people who know how to rightly handle this Bible right here in such a way that we are not ashamed of how we're doing it. That's important for us. Look at chapter 2, verse 22. This is important. Paul says, so flee youthful passions. Any of us ever battle youthful passions? And you know, the best thing to do when you are battling them is to flee. And so the book of 2 Timothy teaches us how to battle against temptation in a world that's getting more and more corrupt and twisted. I want to know what God has to say about that. You want to know about that? Or take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. He's talking about the last days. We live in the last days. We live in the last days. Every day from the time Jesus ascended into heaven to the time when he comes back, the Bible calls that the last days. And every day that passes means we get a day closer to Jesus' return. And we need to know what it looks like to live in these days. Take a look at 2 Timothy 3.16. 
Paul says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, which tells us then that this Bible is God's very word. That's something that's being tested in our day and age. People are wondering, what makes the Bible any different than any other religious book? How can we really trust the Bible? Or you may have heard, the Bible's filled with errors. You ever heard that one? Great thing to ask that person is, show me one. Because the truth is, many people hear that, but are not aware that the Bible actually is God's very word without error. Another passage, 2 Timothy 4.2. Paul says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Which means that the season you're in is always the right season to be ready. To be ready to tell someone about the faith that you have. Especially in our day and age. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, look at this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This book tells us that we live in a day where people want to hear what's good in their ears, not necessarily what's good in their hearts. They want people to teach them what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Guys, this is extremely important because in our day, because of mass media and the way that teaching is so accessible via podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, social, uh, uh, Instagram, and other kinds of forms of communication, anyone and everyone has a microphone and an audience. And with so many microphones and cameras comes so many false teachings. Family, one thing that concerns me is when I see videos shared on Facebook, sometimes even from among us, from teachers, I'm like, this person, I haven't heard talk about the gospel of Jesus yet, the truth of Jesus. Because what they say sounds good, but it's absent of biblical truth. Even to make things even more interesting in our day, it's actually becoming popular to be connected with the church. This is a weird twist to me that I'm observing because as recently as 15, 10 years ago, it felt like it was becoming more and more hostile to Christianity, our, our culture in America. But what's crazy to me is I feel like things are shifting in the sense where Christianity as a culture is being received, but not the truths that Christianity preaches. This is fascinating, where even rappers in our day are holding Sunday services, where they are so-called preaching, but not a message of repentance. Telling us that Jesus walks with us, but Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself, then follow me. It's really confusing the days we live in. And if we're not careful, people will say things that sound good, but it's not the truth. Paul says that in our day, people who have itching ears And then last passage I want to point you to, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. Paul says this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. When I say fight, I want you to say the good fight. 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 When I say finish, I want you to say the race. Finish. When I say keep, I want you to say the faith. Keep. See, this is what the letter ends with. Paul saying, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And family, I want us to understand this very thing. That Christianity, 
The Christian life is a race with a finish line. And the finish line is when you stop breathing. And between now and that point, God is calling you to fight the good fight, to keep the faith so that you can finish the race. Nobody finishes a race 20 feet in front of the finish line. That means you didn't finish. I love our church because our church family here, the Brook, Jesus' church, is a relatively younger church. And to me, that's really cool because a lot of times people who are younger in their lives don't see eternity with the way that many of you see it. And that, to me, excites me. What also excites me at the Brook are all the gray heads in the church, people who are closer to the finish line than some of us are. And I say this with a whole lot of joy. There's been times those who've come into the Brook family with a lot of gray hair and they're like, hey, we're looking for a church. And we jump on their ankles saying, this is yours. Please don't leave us. Because this is why. For those of us who are younger, you can define that however you want. There is something sweet to see those who are closer to the end saying, Jesus has been faithful to me. I love the brothers and sisters in this church family who I know are there, who've gone through all kinds of challenges, who've seen the deepest and darkest of valleys, who realize there's a lot more ahead in their, uh, their windshield than in their rearview mirror. There's, there's, less, there's less, I'm sorry, ahead of their, in their windshield than the rearview mirror. And they're saying, look, but as I look back, Jesus has been faithful. I'm fighting the good fight, and I'm about to finish this race. We need people like that in our lives to inspire and show us and to also be models for us. The book of 2 Timothy is a letter that packs this all in in four short chapters. I think it's pertinent for us, family. See, encountering Jesus is the start of the race. Finish line is your death. We want to get you from one end to the other to honor and glorify Jesus through all of that. Christianity is costly. Christianity comes with a call to deny ourselves Christianity ultimately is the following of Jesus. The Christians were first called Christians in the city of Antioch, which sent out people around the world to tell people about Jesus. We want to be this kind of church, man, to the very end. So we titled this series Unashamed. Unashamed. Because that's what it's going to take for us to cross the finish line, having honored Jesus. It's going to cost, it's going to cost us to be unashamed of our faith. In fact, Paul even uses this language. Check out 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed. Can you say ashamed? Of the testimony about our Lord. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, I am not ashamed, that is, of his suffering for Jesus. Or look at 2 Timothy 2, 15. Actually, we already referred to that. But he says, you want to be a worker who is not ashamed. Family, we want to be people who are not ashamed of our relationship with Jesus or the true message of the Bible. We don't want to be ashamed of saying itching ears and those itching messages are not the truth. They're partial, but they're not complete. We want to stand up and say, this is what Jesus calls of us. And so here we come to 2 Timothy chapter 1. You guys ready to take off here with me? Would you stand to your feet, please, as I read from chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. This is what Paul writes. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, 
according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Can you say my beloved child? My beloved child. Isn't that great? Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice And now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of what, family? Power and love and self-control. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Would you bow with me in prayer, fam? Father in heaven, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak through me, Lord, and that you make your word clear and compelling, God. God, I pray that your spirit would move here among us, all of us. God, bless us with the kind of ears to hear, not itching ears, but ears to hear, and with the eyes to see all that you want us to hear and to see. God, I lift up my brothers and sisters and those who are exploring the faith in this room here today, Lord. God, you are so faithful to do this week in and week out, but I pray you would meet us here today. That you would give us a specific word that you want to, to pierce our hearts. God, I pray that we would not be hard-hearted. God, I pray that we would not put up walls. Maybe even now, God, we feel like you are uh, saying something through the passages we looked at, and, and we feel like we're resisting it, God, because we're afraid. But I pray, Lord, that we would trust you and to believe, God, that you are working something good in us. God, I pray the same for all the churches in our community, that they would be faithfully preaching your word. And God, all the, that all your followers in our neighborhood and our city would be on fire for you. Fan the flame, we pray, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the letter, as I mentioned already to you, is written by Paul, which says Paul, an apostle. The word apostle simply means sent one. But there's also a a formal apostleship title. Anybody who witnessed the resurrected Jesus and who was called by Jesus to serve him was known to be an apostle. And you're familiar with the 12 apostles that Jesus himself handpicked. And then Judas went astray. Then after Jesus' ascension into heaven, they picked a 12th person, Matthias. But then in Acts chapter 9, as we saw last Sunday... Jesus encounters another person, a guy named Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians, changes his life, and then Paul devotes his entire life to follow Jesus, and he always understood this very thing, that he was an apostle, that he was uh, identified by Jesus with the message of the cross of Jesus to tell people around the world. And that's what Paul did. Man, it's crazy when we read the book of Acts, and we see the places that Paul went, places he visited. He started out in Jerusalem. He goes throughout Europe. He ends up in Italy. Paul goes to Rome, telling people about Jesus. The book of Acts in chapter 28 ends with Paul in prison in Rome. But he's got a pretty cush imprisonment, if you will. Basically, he's on house arrest. People could come and see him, come and go. They would bring him things, bring him books. He would study. He would write. He would have visitors. 
But here we see in this letter from 2 Timothy that Paul's writing in prison, but it's not a cush prison. In fact, as we saw earlier, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. In fact, in chapter 4, he says, I'm being ready to be poured out as an offering. When we study 2 Timothy, we realize that Paul believes that he's about to die. And according to all our records, this is his last letter. Here is a man who's giving his final instructions to someone as he stared down death. This is his last will and testament, family. You see, after Acts 28, many believe Paul was released from that Cush Roman prison and went as far as Spain to preach the gospel. But somewhere in there, he was arrested, brought back to Rome, where he is here. Many believe that Paul died under Emperor Nero after he set Rome on fire and blamed the Christians. That would be ultimately what led to Paul's death. But here he is writing this last letter to Timothy. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. He says, I am called by Jesus. This is according to God's promise that I'm an apostle. And he says, I'm writing to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'll talk more about this in a moment, but generally speaking here, I want you to understand this. Paul sees Timothy as a kind of son to him. He wasn't his biological son. But he's always referred to him as his child. And we'll see why. But what I want you to understand at this point, as here's this man, older in the faith, staring down the finish line, saying, hey, I've got last words to give to my son in the faith. This is what I'm telling you. I I I just want us to read this letter with that kind of weightiness to it. I mean, just think about it. What would you write in your final letter to someone to spur them on in their faith? What are the things you would tell them? This is not, this is not a, a, a light matter. This is something significant. And this right here is what Paul has to say to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. What we're going to see here is that Paul's like, I'm going to try to find a way to stir up, to fan this flame from Timothy, so that when I die, his, fan, his, his fire would be ablaze. And what he does here, he does this in three different ways. He's telling him, I thank God in my prayers. But then what he goes on to do is he says, I'm going to use empathy to spur on his faith. I'm going to use encouragement. And then I'm going to work to embolden his faith. He's going to start out with these three things as a way to really communicate this to Timothy as he thinks about his own impending death. He says, I thank God for you always in my prayers as I remember your tears, he says in verse 4. Twice he says he remembers Timothy. Uh, Family, I want us to understand this. It is extremely important that we practice the discipline of remembering. See, remembering prevents us from being a slave to the moment. One way that I like to remember, honestly, is I keep a journal personally. I have a journal. I've gone through many journals over the last probably 12 years when I began to make that a habit. I don't necessarily journal every single day, but I journal most days. Sometimes it's just a few sentences. Sometimes it's three pages. But what the journal does, it helps me to reflect on what I'm thinking. 
And then it provides something for me to return to. Remembering is a powerful thing. And what Paul is saying here is like, when I sit down and I remember, Timothy, you come to mind. And I pray for you day and night. And he says in verse 4, I remember in particular your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. See, Paul's not just simply saying what he remembers, but as he's reflecting on this, he's encouraging Timothy. He's empathizing with him. He says, I remember your tears. Now, we don't know a lot of what's going on here, but I believe what Paul's trying to help Timothy understand is that Timothy's not alone in his struggles. You ever need to hear that? That you're not alone? You see, Timothy had tears. And we find out in the book of 1 Timothy, the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, is that, t- that Paul and Timothy were in a city called Ephesus. They started a church there, and Paul looks his young protege, his disciple, his son of the faith, and says, Timothy, I think you need to stay here. I-, I think you need to pastor this church. God's calling me somewhere else, but Timothy, I think you've got to stay here. And so Timothy receives that call to pastor a church in Ephesus, to which the book of Ephesians was written. And no doubt that was a tearful separation. Timothy's thinking, like, you're my father in the faith. I can't FaceTime with you. I don't know when I'll see you again. When I read this and I think about this, uh, this is kind of a side note, but an important one. The Christian faith is filled with tearful goodbyes. And that's okay. That's okay. There are tearful goodbyes at death, but in Christ there are also reunions. Hallelujah. But there's also tearful goodbyes in the ministry. Because if Paul planted this church, who's going to lead it? Paul could have stood there, but God gave this man a clear gift to preach the gospel everywhere. Sometimes we've got to plant churches, family. We've got to send people to start churches, to reach new communities, to reach people who otherwise would never hear about Jesus. That's what Paul and Timothy did. And so Paul's like, man, I remember... I remember saying goodbye. It was tearful for me too. He's empathizing with this young leader to, to fan his faith here. He's like, Timothy, don't, don't lose heart, man. I'm sad too. We also learn other things about Timothy. We find in 1 Timothy 4, he's young. So no doubt Paul's like, man, I'm empathizing. with you. You're, you're young here, man. I, I know you're afraid. In that culture, young probably was in his 30s. Hallelujah for that, right? But, but he was a young man. And and Paul says, I I know you're young. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul's like, hey, Timothy, I know you're also sick. We don't know what was wrong with Timothy, but in in 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul's like, hey, stop taking water for your condition. Drink a little wine for your stomach ailment. Now, we don't know what he was going through, but Paul's like, have some Moscato, bro. It's going to help you out here. Now, I don't know what it was. But, but you know, they didn't have the modern medicine we have. And Paul's like, "You, you need this. So Timothy is young. Timothy's probably sick, and Timothy's alone. And Paul's like, man, I'm, I'm here, man. I want you to know it, but you're not alone. These are, these are important things. You know, a lot of times when we are discouraged in life, Satan wants us to believe we're alone, that we're the only one going through whatever we're going through. Sometimes the biggest aha moments is when we realize there's others who are just as messed up as we are. And that's the good news for us. So Paul's here fanning this young man's faith. He wants him to be unashamed, and he starts out saying, hey, man, you're not alone. But he doesn't stop there. Not only does he empathize, but he also encourages 
his faith. I love how Paul puts this. He says in verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Now, Paul, again, he's not just reflecting here, but in his reflection, he's trying to encourage him. Have you ever done that before? We say, hey, man, I remember that time when you did this for me. You're not just trying to just shoot the breeze, but you're trying to use this memory to encourage the person who helped you out. And when Paul's like, I remember your sincere faith. Now, this, this word sincere is a really cool word in the original Greek language. It, says, it basically says not hypocritical, non-hypocritical. Now, a hypocrite is not what we understood it to be, understand it to be now, is not what it was in ancient Greek literature. Because a hypocrite was simply an actor, someone who would receive a role, a part in a play, and they would be considered a hypocrites, what we call a hypocrite. And what a hypocrite was, was someone who knew how to take a role and to walk in that role at the pertinent times, namely on the stage, to get in character and persuade people of the role that they're playing. And what that term began to be was a signifier for those people who lived one way in public and a different way in private. We're, we're watching a Netflix show right now as a family, and there's a character in the show who's, a, in his character, he's known to be a bad actor in, in the show. But the irony in the show is that he keeps fooling people by pretending to be someone else. And even as we're watching it, we're like, this dude's an amazing actor. He's very convincing when he gets in character. But one thing a good actor must be is they must realize they can't always live in character. I mean, can you imagine some of these roles they play? Always being that character? They got to know when they get off the set, they got to be their normal person again. See, what Paul is saying here is that when it comes to the Christian faith, we can't live like that. Now, acting actually creates a great illustration for the Christian faith, but it also provides a poor reality. What I want us to understand is this. When it comes to living out our faith, we've got to understand that we don't get into character as Christians. When you're dressing up on a Sunday morning, you're not getting in character to come to the play. Which then implies that when you get back home and then you get out of character and you're someone else. See, that's what a hypocrite is. It's someone who is one thing in public and a different thing in private. Now, I do want to say this. Many people will say Christians are hypocrites. You ever heard that? I think a lot of times they say that because they don't understand what a hypocrite is. Because I think what they mean to say is that Christians aren't perfect. But you tell me a Christian who ever claimed to be perfect, and I'll tell you that this is not the case. We claim to be those who are imperfect and saved by Jesus. You know, the, the church actually is a wonderful place. Yes, there's fallen and broken people. But when we acknowledge our fallenness and brokenness, that doesn't make us a hypocrite. It makes us human. What Paul is saying, though, when he sees Timothy, he's like, man, you've got a sincere faith. Your faith lacks hypocrisy. So Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, and he's telling us, when it comes to your faith, don't act it out, but live it out. When it comes to your faith, don't put on a costume, but be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus and the armor of God. Don't memorize a script, but internalize the word. Don't be, on, uh, don't be one thing on the stage, 
and a different thing backstage. And so when Paul sees Timothy, he's like, man, I'm reminded that your faith is genuine, bro. I'm reminded of how your faith was something that was consistent. Paul and Timothy likely traveled throughout the Roman Empire for about 15 years together. They saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of each other. And Paul said, man, I remember your sincere faith. Just even that acknowledgement, no doubt, spurred on this young man. But then we're left to ask, well, where did this faith come from in Timothy? Where did Timothy become this, this unashamed, courageous young man of sincere faith? And what I love is that Paul said, well, let me tell you where this comes from. He says, this faith first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois. How cool is that? See, Timothy's grandma was a follower of Jesus. Christianity is not very old here, so she was almost undoubtedly a first-generation Christian, like literally first generation. Like there were no Christians ever before her. And with that meant that she probably was ostracized. Lois, no doubt, was a courageous woman who stepped out in faith. Not only did she do that, but then she passed on the faith to her daughter. Because Paul says here, Timothy, Lois, your grandmother, this faith dwelt in her, and also your mother, Eunice. So now Eunice is a woman who received faith from her grandmother, her, her mother, and is now passing it on to her son, Timothy. Do you see the generations happening here, family? Timothy's faith had a context. It had a context of a grandmother who loved Jesus and a context of a mother who loved Jesus. Praise God for godly moms and grandmas. I remember when it hit me as as a young adult that my parents were baby Christians when they raised me. My mom and dad came to faith in Jesus when I was one years old. So being in the church was all I ever remembered. But the truth is that was not always their experience. And I remember when I was in high school, oftentimes happens, I was very critical of my parents and their shortcomings. And even early college. But as I got into college and I was looking back over my family legacy, I was like, my parents have been following Jesus for two years when I was three years old. Of course they didn't have it all together. Of course they were struggling. Of course this was all new to them. Of course they messed up. But as I got older in the faith, now I look back and I'm just like, praise God for parents who were courageous enough to choose to raise me to follow Jesus. That faith had to become my own, and it did when I was nine. But they pointed me in that trajectory. Now, as I read about Timothy's sincere faith, and I read about Eunice and Lois, I see a glaring omission that many of you have already seen. Who's missing? The men. Where are the men? Where are the men? This, 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 this bothers me when I read this. Before I get into where are the men, I want to say something really cool here to all who are single moms. Because you, uh, Lois, we, we don't know where Timothy's dad was. We know he had a dad who was a Greek man who didn't follow Jesus. So maybe he was around physically, but he clearly didn't lead spiritually. Maybe that's your case in your household. Or maybe his dad left the picture when mom became a Christian. We don't know. But what we do know is that Lois said, I'm going to raise my son to follow Jesus. 
I'm going to have and demonstrate a sincere faith without hypocrisy. I'm going to be the same person in public as I am in private. I'm not going to walk with the script, but I'm going to internalize the word. And she lived out her faith that she learned from her mom, and Timothy saw it. And he walked in that faith. To all of you who are single moms out there, your faith can raise up a Timothy. Yeah. And you be sure to do that. And when it's hard and when you feel like, man, I don't know what I'm doing, when you pray with your daughter or your son, when you point them to the Bible, when you bring them to gather with the church family, you're doing undoubtedly the same kind of things Lois did with Timothy when he was a boy. But where are the dads? Where are the men? Timothy's dad clearly didn't lead him spiritually. He either bounced on them, literally, or just bounced from an influence standpoint. We don't know about Eunice's, I'm sorry, Lois's husband. What we do know is that Timothy did not have a spiritual father. Uh, men here at the Brook, man, we talk about this a lot. And what I just tell you a lot is that I love the fact that we got some amazing men in the house. Yeah. And I also know that there are other men who are trying to learn this thing. Like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. And we also know that there are men who are not in the house. What I want to say is this, man. For every man of God in this room, and I know you are here, let us be the kind of men who do what Paul does. What does Paul call Timothy? What did he say there in verse 2? What did he call him? My beloved child. I promise you, Timothy, love to hear that out of Paul's lips. I promise you, Timothy was proud to say this dude was a spiritual dad to me. And what, ta- Paul, what Paul did was he simply took this young man under his wings and he showed him Jesus. We need more Pauls, family. Man, we need Pauls in the house. We need men who are going to lock arms with other men and raise us and raise the young guys in their faith. They may have a godly dad in the house, but that doesn't mean they don't need another spiritually minded man in their family. So we could come along each other, church family, and be those kind of people where we have these Loises and Eunices and Pauls and Timothys in this family. That's what we call fanning the flame here. So let our faith then be without hypocrisy. Let our faith be genuine. And what that means is when we fail, we repent. God, I'm sorry. Brother, I'm sorry I failed you. Sister, I'm sorry I failed you. Son, daughter, I'm sorry I failed you. Would you, would you forgive me? And then you get back up and you keep following Jesus. That's genuine faith. And I love how Paul is here identifying the faith in this young man and speaking life into him. Timothy, I remember your tears. You're not alone. Timothy, I remember your faith. Your grandma had it. Your mama had it. And I see it in you right now. That'll do something to you. Here Paul is establishing this young man and himself being a spiritual father to him. So Paul 
empathizes with him. He encourages him. But he does one more thing, a third thing. He then emboldens Timothy's faith. He's like, I've said a lot, but he's like, I want you to hear this one last thing here before we get into the body of this letter, essentially. Paul says this in verse 6. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. What Paul is saying here, he's like, he's like uh, uh, I want to fan into flame the gift of God in you. Now, what is the gift of God that's in Timothy? Well, in the previous letter to Timothy, Paul writes how he and the other elders of the church laid their hands on Timothy and prayed over him. And how God imparted a gift to him, either at that moment or previously they were affirming it. We don't know exactly. But what we do know is that they identified a gift in Timothy. And it was likely a gift of evangelism and of shepherding a church. And what Paul is saying is, Timothy, I need you to fan that thing into a flame. Keep keep working that thing. Now, it doesn't mean that Timothy lost the passion. But what it means is you can never let up the fan. See, for everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us at that point of our conversion that God's Holy Spirit indwells us all. That's a promise that Romans 8 tells us. And when that happens, the Spirit of God is a gift and gives us gifts to live out. And with that then comes the responsibility God imparts to us, like, hey, fan that flame, yo, flam it, flame, fan it. You know what I'm trying to say. Fan it. And so Paul's telling Timothy the same thing here. He's like, you've got that gift in you. Don't sit on it. As I'm thinking about the ways that God calls us to fan into flame what's in us, I, I, I realize there are some of us who are in the category of Timothy right now. where we're just, we're just trying to have that sincere faith. We're trying to grow. And maybe it's not an ember, but maybe you got a, you got a, a, a campfire going. And what you got to keep doing is dropping logs into that thing. Spending time with Jesus every day. Praying. Trusting God. Sharing your faith. Gathering with the saints. And there are others who are in this room. I know who you feel like your faith is about embers right now. You feel if you get one more gust of wind, you're going to lose it all. And I want you to know something. The Bible tells us that he who began a good work in us will complete it. So those embers, as weak as your faith feels right now, maybe as hypocritical you feel, maybe even as I unpack that definition, you're like, man, that is me. You need to know that the gift of the Holy Spirit who indwells you will cause that to grow, that faith to grow. For those who are here today, who say, man, I've just got a leap, uh, just a pile of wood. I want you to know that this is where faith begins. See, Jesus Christ died for you. And I don't want those words to become dull. He died for you. Because what all of us have in us is sin. That's what the Bible calls. And what sin does is separates us from an eternal God. And so therefore, we deserve eternal death. That's called hell. It's real. It's a real place. But what Jesus did when he came to this earth, he took your sin on his shoulders when he went on the cross, and he took your punishment. So when you put your faith in him, you can be forgiven, and you become a daughter and a son of God. And that fire then begins to burn. 
God could do that for you today. Paul says, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Someone once said that cowardliness has nothing to do with Christianity. I like that. But the truth is, cowardliness has a lot to do with a lot of us. And so in Christianity, then, we have God's spirit and the power of Jesus to make us brave and courageous. I love how he says the power, love, and self-control. I was thinking about those three terms. I was thinking that's exactly what the cross of Jesus is. It's the power of God, according to 1 Corinthians. That's where God defeated death. It's a demonstration of God's love. God demonstrates his own love toward us, that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us, Romans tells us. It's also a demonstration of self-control because Jesus chose it willingly, the cross for us. And so as we come here and we think about the book of 2 Timothy, as we think about our faith, I want us to hear what Paul is telling Timothy, what he tells you today. He's saying, first, you're not alone. He's empathizing. He's encouraging. He's saying, hey, there's, there's faith in you, and God will cause it to grow, and he wants that to embolden, fan it into a flame family. Let's watch what God does. Paul is eyeing the finish line. And he sees it of utmost importance to encourage Timothy. Say, Timothy, don't lose the faith. And church family, as we eye our own culture, as we step forward each day, keep the faith. Keep the faith. And watch what God does in and through you in our culture. Let's pray for him. Lord God, I thank you for the example we find in Paul, in Timothy, in Lois, and in Eunice. And I thank you, God, for the ways you spur us on here today. I know, Lord, that a lot of us feel very weak. Perhaps like Timothy felt. Timid. But Lord, you have not given us a spirit of fear but of power, of love and self-control. So, Lord, I ask that you would cause that to be true in each of our hearts. God, I pray for everyone in this room, maybe, who does not know you yet, Lord. And God, we, we just want them to know Jesus. We want them to see that living for you is the greatest life to live. And for the one who is just really feeling downcast, feeling dejected, Lord, God, I pray that you would spur them on, stir up their hearts, and cause their faith to grow ablaze, Lord. Oh, God, instruct us here. Use us, Lord, as we pray. In Christ's name, amen.